you're listening to this episode on the day it's published, the Oscars were last night. Did you happen to tune in? Or even if you didn't, perhaps you noticed some of the films nominated were based on a true story. True stories we've learned about on this show, such as Deepwater Horizon, 13 Hours, Hidden Figures, and Florence Foster Jenkins. Today, we'll be learning about another movie that was up for some big awards. A total of six, in fact, including Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Dev Patel and Best Actress in a Supporting Role for Nicole Kidman. Of course, if you watch the Academy Awards, you'll know it did not end up capturing the big award overall, Best Picture. Unlike many of the other movies up for awards, and despite having some big names in it, Lion wasn't a big-budget film. It only cost about $12 million to make, a pittance as far as Hollywood is concerned. In true low-budget fashion, the filmmakers were able to cut corners in many places, even down to getting Google's help giving them older editions of Google Earth that would have fit with the time period so they didn't have to fake it with computer graphics afterwards. Everyone seemed on board to help get the story told, and with good reason. The tale of Lion is one that seems too made for Hollywood to be true. In fact, when Nicole Kidman first read the script, she didn't even realize it was a true story. Then, after she was told it was true, she didn't believe it. She thought most of it was fudged for the film. So how much of Lion was true, and how much of it was changed for the movie? I'm Dan Lefebvre, and this is Based on a True Story. Let's take a moment to play a game. If you're new to the show, this is the part where you get to participate in the podcast. Here's how it works. I'll share three things, three little details. Two of them are true. One of them is not. It's a lie. Listen closely for the answers scattered throughout the episode. Then at the end of the episode, we'll do a recap to learn which is which to see how you did. Okay, here they are. Number one. Saru used Google Earth to find his hometown in India. Number two, in a crazy turn of events, Saru's adopted brother turned out to be his biological brother. Number three, after uncovering his identity, Saru learned his given name wasn't even Saru. The last thing I wanted to mention before we continue on is a quick reminder that you can get the transcript for this show over at basedonatruestorypodcast.com. So if you're wondering how something is spelled or just want to share it with a friend who prefers reading to podcasts, grab your own copy over at basedonatruestorypodcast.com. Once again, that's basedonatruestorypodcast.com. And with that, let's compare history with Hollywood's version of Lion. The movie begins as we see a five-year-old Saru being called by his brother, Gudu. Together, the two hop onto a train to steal some coal that they then turn into milk when they get back to their village by swapping the coal for it. In the movie, Gudu is played by Abhishek Bharat, while the young Saru is played by probably the cutest kid ever, Sonny Pawar. They should have an Academy Award for that. After this, we see Saru and Gudu bring the milk back home where we're introduced to Saru's mother and sister. 
Saru's mother, Kamla, is played by Priyanka Bose, while Saru's sister, the young Shakila, is portrayed by Kushi Solanki. This particular scene with Saru and Gudu stealing coal from the train wasn't something that happened the way we saw in the movie, but the point that the filmmakers were trying to make here was true. Growing up in an impoverished village, Saru's family did whatever they could to get food. Like many others, they were constantly hungry. Perhaps the filmmakers got the idea to portray this hunger with coal because of something Saru recalled about his baby sister, Shakila. It was a little habit she picked up to help keep the constant hunger at bay, gnawing on charcoal from the fireplace. But the biggest inaccuracy in the movie here isn't what the movie shows, but what the movie doesn't show. And it's not something we see through the entire film. That's Saru's father and his other brother. In truth, Saru's father, a Muslim, had left his mother, a Hindu, after getting married to another woman. It was something he was permitted to do under Islamic law, but it also meant Saru's mother, Kamla, was left alone to support four children. The oldest was Gutu, then there was Kalu, who's not in the movie at all, Saru, and Saru's younger sister, Shakila. As for Saru's father, because he left while Saru was still little, he wasn't someone very close to the children. So perhaps that's why his character didn't make it into the movie. Back in the film, young Saru convinces his brother, Gudu, to take him along for a week-long trip. Gudu is torn, not wanting to take Saru along because he's too young, but also because he watches Shakila. But Saru mentions Kalu here in what's probably the only mention of his older brother in the film. This is fairly accurate, but there is more to the story. In truth, both Gudu and Kalu spent a lot of time away from home. With their mother off working, often a week at a time without returning home, that's one of the reasons why Saru and Shakila were so close. They were often the only two at home. Since Gudu was the oldest man in the household, even if he would have been considered a child in many other cultures, it was customary for him to provide for the family. So that's what he did. He worked multiple jobs, and Kalu went to help his brother out by finding food for Gudu to eat when he was done working or finding a place for the pair to sleep at night. Even though Kamla, Gudu, and Kalu would leave home for sometimes weeks at a time, they'd always return. They'd be a happy family for a brief period before they'd have to head back out to make a living. Just like the movie shows, it was during one of these trips that Suru convinced Gudu to take him along. In the movie, while Gudu and Suru are on the train, they sweep under the seats, looking for anything they might be able to eat or sell. Not finding much, they settle in for the train ride to the big city, a town Saru recalls as Berempur. Then, in the movie, Saru's life takes a dramatic change when he falls asleep on the train with Gudu. The way the movie depicts this is very accurate. Although Saru was too young to know the specifics of where they were going at the time, he'd later find out the real name of the big city was Burhampur. Today, there's around 210,000 people who live there. So it's not a huge city, but it was the big city to little Saru. The movie shows Saru falling asleep on the train, but according to Saru's recollection, while he was tired on the train, he didn't actually fall asleep until they arrived at the train station in Burhampur. It was here that he fell asleep on a wooden bench while Gudu 
did some things that he needed to do. It was a minor difference, and the result was the same. Time passed. In the movie, when Saru wakes up, he's all alone. There's no one there. The only thing in sight was a train, which also seemed to be empty. This is true. Although Saru remembered there being some sleeping people on the train when he first climbed on board. Using what he'd learned from his older brothers to avoid conductors on trains, they tend not to like kids without tickets sneaking onto the trains, he went into a different carriage. He thought perhaps Gudu had gotten on the train to check under the seats, trying to find whatever he could. Afraid he'd be left at the station when the train left, Saru went back to sleep on the train. When he wakes up this time, in the movie, the train is moving. There's no sign of Gudu anywhere and there's not even anyone else on the carriage he's in. This is also true, and it had to have been terrifying. Saru was only five years old at this point. All of a sudden, he had no idea where his brother is, or where he is. Looking outside, the terrain was completely alien. There's nothing that he sees that reminds him of home. Just like that, Saru is lost. I'm sure it's no surprise that I believe we can learn from history. And that includes my own personal history too. You know how your phone will remind you of photos that you took on this day a few years ago? Well, I just had one pop up and it reminded me of a time a few years ago when my daughter and I were heading out on a four hour drive to a state park. And it couldn't have been more like 10 minutes into the drive when my check engine light turned on and my car just started shaking really, really bad. Needless to say, we ended up spending the rest of the day at the mechanic instead of the park. Not only was that day ruined, but all of a sudden, I had a huge, unexpected bill to figure out how to pay. And I really wish I had known about today's sponsor then, because that would have relieved a lot of stress. Earn In helps alleviate financial anxiety by giving you access to your pay as you work instead of waiting for the next paycheck. You can get up to $100 a day or up to $750 per pay period. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in True Story under Podcast when you sign up, and it'll really help the show. True Story under Podcast. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Thanks, Earn In. Back in the film, Saru gets off the train at an incredibly busy train station. As he gets off, he has to push past a mass of people getting on. While the specifics of what we see were dramatized for the film, it's safe to imagine that what we saw on screen is similar to what it must have been like. Although he didn't know it at the time, Saru had entered the train at Burhampur and exited at Calcutta. Well, that's what it was named then. In 2001, Calcutta was renamed Kolkata. That's C-A-L. C-U-T-T-A was its previous name, and then renamed K-O-L-K-A-T-A. That's almost 800 miles, or over 1,200 kilometers to the east of where he entered the train. 
Roughly, that's about the same distance from Sacramento to Vancouver. Except if you were to travel from Sacramento to Vancouver, at least you'd be speaking the same language. Even if it is with a little bit of an accent, at least you'd know what people are talking about. Within the massive country of India, there's a total of 23 languages that are officially recognized. The most used is Hindi, which is what Saru would have learned in the Kandwa region where he came from. In fact, that's the most popular language in India, as it's used in a little over 41% of the nation. But that's not what is predominantly spoken in Kolkata. There, Bengali is the primary language. According to the movie, there's a few things that happened to little Saru in the big city of Kolkata. This time, when I say big city, I mean big city. There's about 4.5 million people inside city limits and over 14 million people in the metro area of Kolkata. Much larger than the relative big city of Burhampur. In the movie, when Saru arrives at Kolkata... His first night is spent in the train station's tunnels with a group of other kids that he stumbles across. Then he's startled awake by a group of men who are picking up the kids. Again, he awakes to disaster. This is true. Although he couldn't have known what the men wanted with a bunch of homeless children, all he knew is that he didn't want to be taken. So he ran. But there's a slight difference in the movie here. As he's running... He runs down a tunnel and almost gets hit by a bus. In truth, Saru ran down the tunnel with the train tracks. It was a train that nearly hit Saru. But he managed to press himself against the wall and keep from getting hit as it raced past. To this day, Saru doesn't know what the men wanted. But it's probably safe to say those poor children didn't end up in a very good situation. After he manages to escape this terrifying moment in the movie, things start to look up when a woman notices him. When she realizes that he's speaking Hindi and that's not spoken nearby, she takes him in. Fortunately, she speaks Hindi too, so she can communicate with Saru. Her name is Noor, and in the movie, she's played by Tanishtha Chatterjee. Noor says she knows a good man who can help and convinces Saru to stick around by bribing him with food and soda. But when the man shows up the next day, something is off. Sensing something is not right, Saru bolts for it. That didn't happen, and there's no mention of a woman named Noor in Saru's book. But what we see in the movie is similar to something that did happen. After almost getting nabbed at the Kolkata train station, Saru decided it wasn't safe there anymore. He traveled along the train tracks for a while. Losing track of time, Saru nearly passed out in the blazing heat of the day. After sitting down on the tracks, a man nearby noticed this and approached Saru. The man warned Saru that the train tracks were dangerous and similar to Noor in the movie, invited Saru to get some food. But this man didn't live in a nice apartment like Noor in the movie, No, in truth, he worked on the railway and lived in a shack by the tracks along with a number of other men. But they did let Saru eat and give him a place to rest. So while it wasn't Noor who called someone for Saru, it was this unnamed railway worker. When the man arrived, he acted very strangely, much like what we saw in the movie. He lay on the bed next to Saru and listened to his story. This made Saru uncomfortable and he trusted his instincts. 
He took his first chance, which was later that evening while the railway workers were chatting over a humble dinner and bolted into the night. In the movie, Saru's fortunes change when he sits down in the streets of Kolkata across from a small cafe. In the window, he sees a man eating soup. Pulling out a spoon he found earlier, Saru mimics the man's movements. This gets the man's attention, who comes to talk to Saru and, eventually, takes him to the police station to try to help. Similar to the story of Noor, this part was changed in the film, but it's based on something that did happen, albeit a little bit differently. After escaping the railway worker's home, Saru wandered the streets of Kolkata. He wasn't necessarily trying to find his way home, he was simply trying to survive and repel the biting hunger that nipped at his heels. It wasn't a man in the cafe that found Saru, but rather it was Saru who stumbled upon a boy who he thought was about the same age as Gudu. The two struck up a conversation and eventually the boy invited Saru back to his home. Saru stayed with the boy's family for a few days before they took him to the police station to see if they could find his family. Just like the movie shows though, there was no luck. The police couldn't find Saru's hometown. They couldn't find his mother. Without anywhere to send him, Saru was sent to an orphanage. According to the movie, after a few months in the orphanage, a woman named Mrs. Sood, who's played by Depti Naval, comes to let Saru know they've tried to find his mother without any luck. But there's a family in Australia who wants to adopt him. All of this is true, but in truth, it wasn't an orphanage in the sense that it was a home only for children without parents. It was a juvenile detention center called Lilua and was home to orphans and troubled children who had been caught breaking the law on the streets of Kolkata. Saru spent months at Lilua. Mrs. Sood is a real person, and at the Indian Society for Sponsorship and Adoption, she was responsible for orchestrating Saru's adoption. The couple adopting Saru is also accurately depicted in the film. It's John and Sue Brierley. John is played by David Wenham, while Sue is portrayed by Nicole Kidman. Although Saru didn't know it at the time, John and Sue had wanted to adopt any child who needed a home. They didn't request a certain gender or a certain background, like many adopting parents do. Nor were they incapable of having children, just like the movie shows. John and Sue Brierley simply wanted to provide a loving home to a child who needed it. And they got Saru. Oh, and to give you an idea of how true to reality the movie is, do you remember the shirt Saru was wearing when he first met his new parents? In the movie, it's a white shirt that says Tasmania on it. That's the exact same shirt the real Saru wore when he flew from India to meet the real John and Sue in his new home of Tasmania. You can see a photo of the real Saru wearing this shirt on the cover of the book A Long Way Home. According to the movie, Saru got a brother when John and Sue adopted yet again a couple years later. This is true, although the timeline is a little off. While we don't know exactly when Saru was born because, well, there just isn't any documentation for that, the Indian adoption authorities gave Saru a birthday of May 22nd, 1981. They did this because they needed a birthday on record, so they guessed at the year and added the month and day that he showed up at the orphanage. 
When Saru arrived in Tasmania with his new parents, that was toward the end of 1987, so he was six years old. John and Sue Brierly adopted Mantosh when Saru was 10. So Saru had lived with the Brierlys for four years before getting a brother. And again, it wasn't that the Brierlys asked for another boy. They simply requested any child that needed a loving home. In the movie, when Mantosh arrives, he has a much worse temper than Saru. This is true, and although he didn't know it at the time, Saru would later find out Mantosh had come from the same orphanage he was at, Lalua. But Mantosh's time at Lalua was much worse than Saru's. He was abused both physically and sexually. Who knows how many times in the years it took for the adoption to go through. Perhaps now you're wondering how Saru managed to get adopted relatively smoothly. It didn't take years like it did for Mantosh. It all hinged on the inability to find Saru's parents. When they weren't able to find him, Saru was labeled an orphan. He had no parents as far as the state was concerned. By comparison, Mantosh's mother had died, but he had a father. For some reason, we don't know, his father just didn't want him. But this added just enough complexity into the process to slow the adoption process down immensely. During that time, Mantosh fell victim to the horrible environment in Lalua. Would Saru have fallen victim to the same fate if he'd stayed in Lalua for years instead of the months that he was there? Maybe. In the movie, after we're introduced to Mantosh, the film fast-forwards a couple of decades to Saru as an adult. This adult version of Saru is played by Dev Patel. According to the movie, as an adult, Saru has seemingly put his life in India behind him. He doesn't even think about looking up his previous life until someone in his hotel management class suggests it to him. This is the same class in Melbourne, Australia that Saru meets a girl he hits it off with, Lucy. In the film, Lucy is played by Rooney Mara. That's not really true, but in the way we've seen things altered so far in the film, it's very close. In 2007, Saru attended the Australian International Hotel School in Canberra, which is about 280 miles or 450 kilometers from where the film says the class was in Melbourne. But Saru did use Google Earth on his computer to painstakingly search for his hometown. He did this much in the same way that the movie shows, by following the train tracks coming out of Kolkata. Inch by inch, mile by mile or I guess more appropriately, centimeter by centimeter, kilometer by kilometer. There's some other minor details that were changed in the movie, like the part where we see Dev Patel's version of Saru figuring out how fast trains can go by searching the web. Then, based on his calculations, he builds a search radius out from Kolkata. In truth, one of Saru's friends had a father who worked at a railway station in India. So while he may have searched the web, Saru asked her to see if her father could give some insight into how fast trains actually were. He did, and that's how Saru figured out the search radius. But that's a distinction without a difference as far as the story is concerned. The end result was the same. Saru had a search radius to try to find his hometown. Probably the biggest change in the movie had to do with Rooney Mara's character, Lucy. In truth, her name was Lisa, and while the movie makes it seem like Saru met her before he began his search, that's not true. 
By the time Saru met Lisa, he'd already begun his search. In fact, he was months into it. But it's slow going, so it wasn't something he'd finish right away. And just like the movie shows, Saru started to get rather obsessive with the search. The more he searched, the more that itch continued. He had to find his hometown. In the movie, it's at the point of utter desperation when Saru finally finds it. He's randomly searching Google Earth when he spots a land formation that he thinks he recognizes. Zooming in, he finds more things he recognizes from his childhood. While the scene in the movie was fictionalized for the film, that's very close to how Saru ended up finding his hometown. It was on March 31st, 2011 when Saru returned home from work and began his evening routine. It was the same thing he'd done almost every night for years. With the hour getting late, he was about to turn in when he just started randomly flicking along the map. He was following a river in the Indian countryside. It had nothing to do with his search, but he was just looking at the terrain, letting his brain kind of relax for a moment. By this time, he'd become accustomed to look for train stations So when he found one, he ritualistically began following the track. Then he paused and looked a bit closer. There was a water tower, just like the one he remembered from his childhood. Surely that couldn't be it. There has to be millions of water towers in India. As he continued to search the area, he found more things he remembered. A road in the shape of a ring, exactly what he remembered seeing from the train station as a child. When he saw the name of the station, it was Burhampur. He remembered it as Burhampur, B-E-R-A-M-P-U-R, and this was B-U-R-H-A-N-P-U-R. But he also knew that's what he thought it was as a child. Since he didn't know how to read or write at the time, remember he was only five, his understanding of the name was purely phonetic. In the movie, Saru finds what looks like a town called Ganesh Talai on the map. That's not really what happened. The movie seems to have sped this up some. After finding Burhampur, Saru followed the tracks to a town that must have been his hometown. The map said Kandwa. That was a name that didn't mean anything to Saru. There wasn't any sort of Ganesh Talai. Like Burhampur, his knowledge of Ginestalay, or as he spelled it, G-I-N-E-S-T-L-A-Y, was purely phonetical. So he knew it might not be exactly that. And looking at the terrain, the roads, the tracks, the buildings, he recognized it all. That had to be it. But there was nothing nearby that was anywhere near Ginestalay, so he didn't want to get his hopes up before confirming it. This isn't shown in the movie at all, but to help confirm that he was on the right track, he found a Facebook group for Kandwa. Reaching out, he asked if there was a fountain in the town. That was a landmark he thought he remembered being in his hometown. The next day, he received a reply. Yes, there's a fountain, but it wasn't as big as Saru seemed to think it was. You can imagine how fast his heart must have been beating. Had he come this close only to be wrong? But he hadn't seen it since he was a young child, so things certainly must have seemed much larger to him then. After a couple days of trying to decide his next move, he ultimately decided 
A straightforward approach was best. He wrote back to the administrator of the Kandwa group on Facebook and asked another question. Was there a district in Kandwa starting with the G? Something kind of like Ginesle. Again, it wasn't an instant response. We don't know how much work Saru got done at work the next day, but it's certainly understandable if he was a little bit distracted. Then a message came, heart pounding. He opened it. Ganesh Talai. He had been spelling it G-I-N-E-S-T-L-A-Y as one word. But it was actually spelled G-I-N-E-S-H-T-A-L-A-I. Two words. In the movie, after finding his home, he decides to travel there. This is very true. Saru was convinced he'd found his home. The next step was to find his family. That meant going to Ganesh Talai. Although the movie glosses over his family's reaction, both his girlfriend, Lisa, and his parents, John and Sue, were extremely supportive. They offered to go, even if it was only for emotional support. His dad, John, even offered to stay at the hotel so he could just be there if he was needed. Saru turned them down. It was something he needed to do alone. In his book, Saru admits it was partially because he was afraid if he went there and it turns out that he was all wrong. He didn't want to be standing there with his parents and tell them he didn't recognize anything. He also didn't want to tell anyone in Ganesh Talai that he was coming. It's not exactly a tourist destination, and while Saru certainly wasn't wealthy by Australian standards, comparatively, he was wealthy for the incredibly impoverished region around Ganesh Talai. He didn't want people finding out that he was going to be coming, only to have a bunch of women show up saying that they're all his mother. When he arrived, though, the scene had to have been very similar to what we see in the movie. The closer he got to his childhood home, the more he remembered. Finally, he found his childhood home. There it was. He was home. But just like we saw in the movie, there was no one living in the home. The movie shows Saru trying to inquire about his family with a woman. By this point, after decades of living in Australia, he's forgotten Hindi. Then a man comes over to ask if he can help. While the gist of this is true, there were actually two men that Saru struck up a conversation with. Again, a distinction without a difference. After seeing a photo of Saru as a child that he'd brought, one of the men told Saru to wait there and went off down the alley. After a few minutes, he came back and told Saru he would take him to see his mother. You can only imagine what it must have been like as he followed this man. Finally, he stopped. There were three women standing outside a small building. There she was, Kamla. Although she wasn't Kamla anymore, Years after Saru had disappeared, she converted to Islam and changed her name. She was Fatima now. Regardless, she was still Saru's mother. After 26 years, Saru was reunited with his family. Speaking of changed names, the movie also mentions that Saru wasn't his real name either. That too is true. Just like Burampur and Ganestle, Saru, S-A-R-O-O, had apparently been phonetically spelling his own name this entire time. His given name was Sheru, 
S-H-E-R-U, which is Hindi for lion. In the movie, there's a roller coaster of emotions that occurs when he meets his mother for the first time in decades. First, there's tears of joy. Then there's tears when he asks about Gudu and finds out Gudu died the same day Saru disappeared. Then there's tears of joy once again as Saru meets his younger sister, Shakila. All of this is true. Sadly, Saru's mother had lost two children that day. Gudu's body was found by the tracks about a mile and a half, about a kilometer, outside Burhampur. On top of that, Saru had never returned. But Kamala had never given up hope. Just like the movie says, that was the reason she never left Ganesh to lie. She always hoped Saru would return one day. And against all odds, that's exactly what happened. This episode of Based on a True Story was written and produced by me, Dan Lefebvre. Have you seen Lion? Or have you listened to this before knowing the story? Well, even though we've covered a lot in this episode, there's so much more to the story. So if you haven't yet, go watch Lion. It's an amazingly inspirational story, something we all need in these crazy times. And I'd really also recommend picking up Saru's book, a long way home. There's no way I can hope to cover the details from Saru's own memoir, and I'm not trying to. I'm just hoping that by hearing this, you're inspired to go find out more. So yeah, go watch the movie or go read Saru's book, or you can do what I did and do both. Oh, and something else I did that I wanted to point out was to donate to the Lionheart campaign. They're independent charities, I'm not associated with them at all, but they're charities that are working to help the tens of thousands of orphaned and lost children in India, just like Saru was. So if you've been thinking about donating to this show, if you've been moved by this episode, I really hope you'll consider taking that donation and giving it to the Lionheart campaign. You can learn more about that over at lionmovie.com. Before we get to the two truths in a lie game, I wanted to share another review from iTunes. This one came from Steve over at the Drift and Ramble podcast who left a five-star review and says, quote, Here's a great podcast that contains my top three criteria for grabbing my ears. It's well-produced, well-researched, and highly entertaining. Want to peel back the veil on the stories you think you know? Start here, end quote. Thanks, Steve. I put a ton of time and effort into getting my little podcast studio set up and putting together the shows each and every week. So it's great to know that's coming through as intended on the other side of the headphones or speakers or however you're listening. Although there's always room for improvement. So hopefully you've seen some improvement from the beginning of this show until now. Speaking of great shows that are highly entertaining, if you've not heard of Steve and Cheryl's podcast, you should check it out too. It's called Drift and Ramble and dives into the fascinating true stories and the history of the American Old West. Thanks again, Steve, for the kind words. And thank you for listening to the Based on a True Story podcast. If you want to leave a five-star review for me to read in a future episode, hop over to iTunes. 
Finally, it's time for the answer to our two truths and a lie game from the beginning of the episode. As a refresher, here are the two truths and one lie. Number one, Saru used Google Earth to find his hometown in India. Number two, in a crazy turn of events, Saru's adopted brother turned out to be his biological brother. Number three, after uncovering his identity, Saru learned his given name wasn't even Saru. Did you find out which one is a lie? The lie is number two. Although Mantosh and Saru had been in the same orphanage, albeit not at the same time, and eventually the two would be related through adoption, the two boys were not biologically related. What did you think about Saru's amazing story? Have you read the book or watched the movie? Or perhaps you're someone who's been listening to this podcast for a while, but you haven't introduced yourself yet. I would love to hear from you. If you're not sure what to say, let me know what you think of the book or the movie, or let me know where you found out about the show. You can contact me through the show's website at basedonatruestorypodcast.com. You can find me in the Based on a True Story podcast Facebook group where we can chat about the movie. On Twitter, where I'm at Dan Lefebvre, D-A-N-L-E-F-E-B. Or you can shoot me an email at danlefebvre, D-A-N-L-E-F-E-B, at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. And I'll chat with you again really soon.